0: You're listening to the Rescuer MBS podcast with hosts Laura McGladry and Marcel Rodriguez. For show notes and additional information, visit www.anchor.fm rescuer MBS or visit our Facebook page, Rescuer MBS Podcast. Rescuer MBS know your limits, improve your performance. With over 4 million visitors every year, California's Yosemite National Park is one of the most popular national parks in the country. With that popularity comes a large number of missions for the Yosemite Search and Rescue team members. Laura sat down with Philip Johnson, a supervisory law enforcement ranger and longtime member of YOSAR, to discuss life in the valley, his observations on stress injuries on the team, and some of the things they've been doing to begin to address stress injuries.
1: All right. So I'm sitting here uh, with Philip Johnson in the, the um, we're right in the heart of Yosemite Valley. Philip, will you just, before you get started telling us who you are, paint us a little picture of where we are and what's happening around us in this moment.
2: We are in the, what used to be the attic of the Sarkash in the Valley, and now it's turned into a great room. But um to the north is Yosemite Falls. Downstairs is the ready room and, and incident command room for uh, YOSAR. And then I think right below our feet is uh, my office that I go to every day.
1: Great. And if we were outside in this moment, I'm, I'm looking out the windows. It's, um, it's May. It's early season. It's a little bit gray. It's thinking about sprinkling. What would we hear outside?
2: You would hear the roar of Yosemite Falls. But like we were saying earlier, this building just got remodeled, so the windows don't rattle as much as they used to. They used
1: to rattle when yeah. the falls was kicking. Yes. So awesome. All right. So will you tell us a little, tell us um, your job with Yosar with and maybe a little bit about Yosar too. And, and I, I would think we'd all be interested to hear how long you've been involved and kind of a little bit about your history.
2: Sure. Um, currently, I'm a law enforcement supervisory ranger in Yosemite National Park, and I've been here in the Valley since uh, 2012. Um I have been. I started working for YOSAR as a uh, as a volunteer in Tuolumne Meadows in two thousand two, and I've pretty much done search and rescue in some capacity for the National Park Service since two thousand two till now. I assist in coordinating. I directly coordinated the SAR site from two thousand twelve to two thousand sixteen, and then um, I've assisted in just the overall operation and worked on the helicopter rescue team. Um, since 2012.
1: Any idea how many rescues you've done in your tenure?
2: No, I should track that number down. It's well over, it's probably well over 300
0: mm-hmm.
2: search and rescue missions now.
1: Mm-hmm. Wow.
2: Probably, and probably over like, probably in the range of uh, 60 to 80 helicopter missions.
1: Okay. So just to give us an idea a little bit about YOSAR. And how Yosar how operates and then maybe how many missions a year kind of mm-hmm. context for other search and rescues?
2: Yosar is a is run by the Rangers and that's typically how it's done across the park service. It's usually connected to either operations or protection, visitor and resource protection in most parks. The law enforcement cadre here coordinate the rescue groups and a vital piece of it is the volunteer group, also known as the SAR site that we employ in the Valley and in Tuolumne Meadows every summer during the core of the rescue season. And in the Valley that runs from about May through October and in Tuolumne, it runs from mid June through September. And, um, on the, on the lee sides of either of those times in the off season, as we say, um, through the winter, just the rangers do the bulk of the response with assistance from the community.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. And who's on the SAR site? Like, how does a person end up? What kind of skills? What, are they rescuers? Are they climbers? What? How does a person find themselves on the SAR site?
2: I didn't answer one of your questions, but I think the total number of rescues each year is, is over 200 mm-hmm. on an average year. Okay. How someone arrives on the SAR site. You arrive on the SAR site by, it's typically falls in line with a passion for climbing and a passion for this place. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you combine that with, um, with just, a with eagerness to assist. Cause you see Yosar, you see the yellow shirts and like you, you, it's, it's, it's a pretty awesome organization. And so you just want to be there to help. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so you sign up, we have, uh, we have some basic requirements, which are, you know, a level of free climbing that you, um, have, and a basic level of, uh, EMS skills of emergency medical mm-hmm. skills. And, um, we go from there. Sweet. Okay. Yeah.
1: So, so you've been on the site yourself, you've been rescuing for a really long time. You've kind of, um, grown up quote unquote in this culture and then and sort of taken a leadership role. W- at what point did you first recognize this phenomenon of distress injury formation that, that, um, and There's probably an underlying sort of knowledge. That a lot of people say, "Yeah, I knew that 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 rescue was getting to someone. And I knew that this was going to impact me, or I know it's influencing me in some ways." But when did it become clear to you, like, "Wow, oh, this is actually an injury type or a thing, a phenomenon that was outside the range of just this is what happens when you're a, a rescuer?"
2: Yeah, sure. And if I may, I go back a little bit because you know, before it actually came directly into my in you know in my in in front of my face for years you'd see, you know, the next day, people just being a little glazed over or like people, you wouldn't know why people, why different rescuers were just like, you know, would kind of withdraw for a little while. And it's only in retrospect that I realized, but I don't have the memory to, to go all the way back and like seek out the specifics of each of those, of each of those persons and each of the things that they dealt with, or even the rescue that was involved with. But, um, it was about four years ago when we had a river rescue in early season here. And there is a, uh, there's a gentleman who, who went into the river and I ended up pulling him out with another ranger and all the sars that arrived like directly afterwards, probably like four or five of them and to assist with the, uh, with the code that we were working, we were pre- performing CPR on him. And, um, you know, the gentleman ended up dying and it was so early in the season that, um, it was one of the early rescues for this, for this particular rescuers, like first season. Mm-hmm. That's a rough way to start the year. And so it was a, about a week later when someone else on the team came to me and said, Philip, you know, they're not doing very well. And I said, oh, what's up? And he said, you know, kind of withdrawn. Like, I think that rescue that we did, like, really bothered them. And I was like, okay. And so I, I talked to him, and that was exactly what it happened. And they said, like, I just really wasn't expecting to do that. Like, I wasn't expecting to be on the side of the river. Like, I would just got done climbing and um you know just i ran over here and i just wasn't expecting for this to be the call i wasn't expecting this to be my yosar experience Mm -hmm. and i and i i get that because a lot of things you see is like you know we see you know the litter outs and like the you know and the rock climbing and like the technical rescue but you don't accept to expect to see something so visceral as a as someone who just drowned and um so but but for for that person to come and like you know be affected uh, so much that was really, it had to be in front of my face for me to really appreciate it like that. Yeah. And for them to have the vulnerability and, and um, you know, and, and, uh, and bravery to come to me too. That was huge. Yeah.
1: How, how did it affect their climbing and their sort of doing the normal things that they normally do? Yeah, doing take? the
2: normal things. I mean, this uh, that's like the beauty of being on the Sarsa. site. You get to stay in, you know, Yosemite unfettered. You get to be on the, you you live and, you know, this really incredible place. You can climb as much as you want to and so for that person like they stopped rock climbing. Mm. They really did. They mm-hmm. would maybe boulder a little bit, mm-hmm. but this is someone who's like really like, you know, really good at climbing big walls and big free routes and hard free routes and and they stopped.
1: So when did you connect that phenomenon which draws everyone's attention but you know this is something I frequently hear from American Alpine Club or from other um, entities climbers like oh my friends just don't climb that person doesn't climb anymore but to to connect the dots to that being a stress injury how did that happen for you
2: it was easy in this time but it led me to see that sometimes it can be so indirect yeah. but in this one it was so direct because I have you know the uh, it was it's it's easy for me to see that we're in one community here mm-hmm. and so there's like no degree of separation here mm-hmm. so I was able to connect the dot bit and from and from their friends. And just from me being able to see, it was, just, it was right in my face. Like this, that was the problem. It was like this incident, one incident caused, mm-hmm. caused this state, yeah. this you know, this mental state to perpetuate, you yeah. know, and, and end up being in like, you know, it doesn't really feel like doing anything anymore, which right. is awful.
1: Right. So that's one of the things that's so challenging probably about, um, rescue in particular climbers, um, avalanche, etc. folks who ski and love to ski and do this, that sometimes the the first real change that's very subtle is that you just don't enjoy or you don't want to, you don't seek out doing the thing that you still love to do. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's really important that we see and know that as the injury type that it is the loss that it is, like you're losing is probably one of the most significant parts of your life that you love. Yeah. You can't explain why. And so mm-hmm. a lot of folks who do that, if you ask that rescuer, why aren't you climb anymore, might not have been a direct link back to, oh, because of that thing. It's just, it might have been, I don't feel like it anymore. I, I'm doing this other thing now, or I'm not doing that. So it's getting really subtle. One of the things I think is really um, specific in some ways to Yosar here, and there's a couple other rescues I work with, but not to this extent at all, where you are actually interfacing with climbers who are doing exactly what you do. Um, what you did yesterday wearing the gear and the stuff that you use and do who might have made just one different move than you normally make and then your brain has to find a way to go do that mm-hmm. tomorrow so how do you think um so i guess that sort of brings me to like what's what's new what's happening in in the realms of like trying to change that trying to um protect against that happening.
2: Yeah. Just to piggyback on what you're just saying, I mean, that one's like the most obvious and that, that one like is an obvious, obviously affects people when we go and, you know, do a rescue of climbers, Mm -hmm. you know, is like that one, that one affects everybody. And usually it's almost, it's almost certain that there's going to be a handful of rescuers, more than half. We like really don't feel like climbing for a couple of days. So it's usually, you can just Mm -hmm. plan on it. There's a couple day effect. of like, yeah, I don't want to go, you know? And so, um, but beyond that, you know, not, and, and actually being really cognizant of that, I was like now that I see that, um, you know, I'm able to put a label on and know that it's like, you know, stress formation into a stress injury. Um, yeah, we've, so beyond like, um, critical incident stress, you know, management and doing like debriefings after like some of these critical incidents. Um, so we did that for a while. And with a lot of like responder, field responder feedback, we've been able, we kind of morphed it where um, we will, so what we've done, like we've morphed, like I was saying, we've morphed like the CISD or the debriefing, the group debriefing, and we will provide that just to kind of give like a good overview of what happened in the incident, but we make it available um, for the individual rescuers to go and talk to someone that's training, curriculums, and in stress management, just to talk individually. And we found that to be more effective.
1: Mm-hmm. Great. How to that end have you been using, or do you see using the stress continuum?
2: Um, we started using it last fall. And just like the inception of the idea has been like really, really well received here. And um, we plan on using it to make all like the core rescuers between like the helicopter rescue team and, um, the SAR sites and, um, to, to, to take a look and like, spend the time, like creating these stress continues for themselves. And so they know what it looks like and they know what it looks like for the team. And, um, and so, yeah, we're starting now.
1: Great. What, what do you think the impact of having a common language is on the team? Something you can point to that, you know, could happen to you that you can go back to.
2: It's huge. I mean, even like operationally, it's huge. Even like when we have like an incident that, you know, that pops And you're like, Hey, like, this is what we have. And it seems like it's going to be, you know, it has a high traumatic value. You know, you, you know, that some people all like immediately, you can see the look on their faces and being able to put like Mm a, being able to put a value on that. Mm I mean, like, are you ready to go? Mm -hmm. And they can look at you and like, for them personally, I think they can reflect better. Like knowing that they have their own stress continuum. And even if you say like, are you green and ready to go? And they can say, no. And it's really easy. And then uh, you know, be able to have like the operational vulnerability and like the personal vulnerability to, to be able to interact that way. That's probably the most important because you have to have that. And um, you know, to give the people an option if they're not ready to do it. Because with, you know, over two hundred rescues a year and just like the pace of like work here in Yosemite, like there's always a lot going on. And then on top of that, you put people's personal lives and everything that happens in them. You know, I think it I think it's a really good metric to um for some for a rescuer. To base where they are, and if they're ready to go out and and um, effect rescue.
1: Great, and I think uh, so. On the star site this morning, as we've been working with the stress continuum, one one thing that they, what folks reflected, is really helpful. Is when things do get really close to home or really hot, if you will, or you sort of find yourself creeping up into lava. You know, we talked about the operational concern, right? These are very um, high stakes. Rescue decisions often you're making the knots have to be right, the decisions have to be right, and recognizing that if you're in if you you can recognize or someone you we've calibrated the continuums here and people are sharing them they just did that on their own. So if you're willing to share with other people where you are on the continuum, there might be this chance for people to say, "Hey, th- thanks for telling us," or "This is how we know you might be sort of in a stress state right now. We know you both you're more likely to get hurt and." operationally it's going to be harder, your performance, your situational awareness. Um, the starsiders this morning brought up the idea of, like, what about light duty? What about mitigating that, right? Sure. Like, there, we have no version of light duty in this injury type yet, but if we did, it might be something like, hey, we still want you out there. Do you want to do comms? You don't have to be back, you know, putting the, the patient, the recovery, and the body back. You don't have to be on the mountain doing that or on the rock doing that. You, you can still be here and involved and vital to the mission back here where – it's a little less likely that you're going to get hurt by occupational exposure, which I thought was cool. That was,
2: it's super cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really, you know, again, that goes back to people being aware of like where right. they are personally. Yeah. And so for an organization and a, a command structure to just have, to have the awareness right. for that and to be able to accept that some people aren't always ready to go, yeah. you know, it, that, that, that's great. Mm -hmm. And I appreciate that you know in my day to day job of just do of of working as a ranger in Yosemite Valley, and then on the flip side of doing rescue with the rangers and with um with the uh, the Yosar and the the Sarsiders, I mean that's a it's it's kind of become like penultimate because you kind of say like you don't their people have really bad days, but people are so dedicated to the team and to the mission, and it's a hard thing to say. You know, I'm really not ready to go today. Like I got. I got a lot of things going on, mm-hmm. and for people to say, "Yeah, I get it." Like you can, let's sit this one out, or find you something else to do. Yeah. like that—that—that's a win-win for everybody. Yeah,
1: that's powerful. And one of the things I think too, and as it relates, and you've been talking about critical incident support, that the continuum does, or having an opportunity in a smaller, close-knit group whose plans on being together in this way—it's an unusual opportunity, but to get the chance to after what is um might be determined a critical incident or a near miss maybe either because it was really close to home Mm -hmm. because there was family contact because it was um more just over the top to what we'd expect folks to 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 have to integrate and so in those opportunities to already know each other enough to know what are the green choices that you can make to help support you what does it look like like we know that this is going to be tough for a couple days but we're going to wait till things to basically this idea we've talked about a lot here. Um, do you know your baseline and do you know how to get back to it? Mm-hmm. And those two questions seem at the heart of critical incident support, because once you know, those two things, it's like return to play. Then you'll know when it's time to go back, you're ready to go back and you're not going to get injured going back. And I, it,
2: it's good to have a baseline. We start in like in April and it's good to have a baseline yep. of like where you think you need to get back to in July. Right. Cause you know, like it, it's, it is just a firestorm here, sometimes literally, and it's, it's, it's hot. We're like, you know, usually like a hundred rescues in plus, and like, we, we just call it like being, you know, getting burned out. Right. Yeah. But now that you have a place that you know, you can get back to, or you know what it looks like yeah. back to be, you know, green, that that's powerful unto itself. Because right. normally we just plow through.
1: And now have a choice. Don't you it? have a
2: choice. You've, yeah. you've built a choice for yourself and you've built a choice for the team.
1: Great. Yeah. And this is another thing that's great um, to get to talk to with the team. We'll get to do a fire tonight, see what they come up with in terms of um, what does it mean for the team itself, the site to be green. Mm-hmm. And what are practices that they might decide on each other where they could really champion each other and practices like connection and community together practices like and um, there's engagement practices and how do we keep the star site a sacred place that we would come back here it's like you made it back home mm-hmm. right and that is you can't there's no expert in the world you could bring in to create that for folks and so the fact that the site itself is really moving toward we know how to get ourselves back home it's kind of nice when you're like hey that's we don't necessarily need an expert right now we need each other
2: Yeah, it's one thing we have here the the closeness of the community here probably can't be replicated very easily in place else. But, um, you know, the SAR site lives like in one spot. The Rangers are pretty much just like, you know, a quarter to a half mile away, like at all times. And so we see each other with such regularity and we're working with each other constantly through the year. And so we're innate, like we can do that. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty incredible to build a community, which is a really, really important part of being able to lean on each other. I think that's what, just what we've done like organically over the past few years. Like there's been like a sea change and like kind of just how we look at, um, you know, people's like well-being. And I think that it's kind of, it's culminating right now. And, um, you know, uh, things are things are looking up.
1: So um, just briefly as we sort of wrap up here, um, psychological first aid Mm -hmm. is uh, another topic we'll tackle here. A lot of um, rescue teams are now incorporating what was once just taught in wilderness medicine circles um, as a way to mitigate stress injury formation. One of the things we've identified here is really powerful is how protective having tools to talk, for instance, to the family member that feel tangible and best practice um, might be. And so we've chosen here to equip the team in the beginning of the year. With that, um, we had a rescue today. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just maybe briefly, was did you see those tools used today? Was there anything that team felt equipped for? Is there anything that you can name that was that psychological first aid today on the rescue?
2: Yeah, this was a classic... Um, almost technical rescue in Yosemite and people get lost. They get way off trail or they just want to go see something. And, uh, this, this gentleman, um, logged in the call via cell phone. And these days, you know, more often than not, we can get a good GPS location of them. And, um, but you know, even from that train this morning, it was perfect timing. It was a timely rescue if there is one. And, um, you know, I was able to talk to him and, and I, I told, he was so embarrassed the entire time. He's like, I made, I really messed up. I really messed up, didn't I? I was like, no, man, it's good. I was like, I'm glad that we're here to work together to get you out of this. And so there's a lot. I just engaged him the entire time because we were able to talk on the phone a lot. And then we got the crew out. We all went out to the field. And then, you know, and I told him, I was like, you know, do you just stay safe because this concept of safety, you know, it's mm-hmm. like, that's really important to let him know, I was like, I just really want you to stay safe Mm -hmm. so we can get to you and and help you. Mm -hmm. And so once we get up there, you know, it's Mm -hmm. like, yeah, hey, like you're safe now and we're gonna help you get out of this. Mm -hmm. And so, and along with that, you know, we just let him be a part of his rescue. And so it's like guiding him through the steps. Like here we are now, this is what we're gonna do. We're gonna take a break and we're gonna set a couple of hand lines up for us to get back down out of this gully. And we're gonna get ourselves back to the road And we'll get back there and his car was parked down there. Mm -hmm. And so we did that. And, um, you know, and I, I, as we walked him down, I mean, I think like the recognition, he was again, like he was so embarrassed on the way down, you know, he just, he sees us go up there. We just like navigate this territory so easily. But then, you know, for him, it's not that way. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was, you know. that's And
1: kind of and can I the source writers are so great about being yeah. like, hey, man, we love being out here. You got us out of a training, yeah. right? We get paid for this if we're on right. the clock. Like, this is what, this thank you kind of thing. Just to right. break down those barriers a little yeah, bit. Yeah, it's breaking down so the
2: barrier, great. you know, that recognition recognition of like his shame. But mm-hmm. like, but and at the same time, including him trying to make him active and part yeah, of what great. we're doing.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And, you know, and, and he appreciated it. And, um, you know, I've always told everybody, like I always work from a, from a place of calm. I try to do that all the time. And then I think that when, in this instance, we've tried to work that way mm-hmm. and I think we instill it in the, um, and with the, the people that we help and, um, yeah. And we walk and, them on the way case, out. In this case,
1: you know, he was ready to hop in his car and go.
2: He was ready to hop in his car and go. So when he gets back, like you see, I see this over and over and over again, time and time again, he's like vibrating. Right. He's like vibrating with adrenaline still. Because right. I mean, this is like well, probably one of the most impactful days he's ever going to have. Exactly right. And so um, we don't let him get back in his car mm-hmm. because, you know, there's a lot of traffic in Yosemite National Park. Right. And, uh, you know, there was a long ways to go for him that day. And he's ready to go home right. now. Yeah. But, you know, we, we just kept, we him there. kept him there. To him. You know, mm-hmm. just kept him calm, you know, and just use his name, like, like really converse with him to make sure... To really do a good check in with them and to let them know that it's important to be checked in with, yeah. you know, yeah. and like ask him what he's going to do right. and like advise him, like, Next you know, steps. if you could yeah. just sit and whether it's with us yeah. or whether it's just by yourself, if that's what you prefer, like in your, in your vehicle. And just like, if you could just like be with yourself for just like 10 minutes, yeah. I think it would really help like calm your nerves. And then that, and then we'd, we'd all feel good with you, like taking off and getting back home. Great. Right. So. Yeah.
1: Terrific! So that's pretty inspiring to see the Star Siders in action, doing their thing, using his name, telling them safe. It's just really beautiful. So, uh, last question as we wrap up: um, What do you do yourself to sustain now that you sort of (laughs) work with this? With the stress continuum, every every rescuer I know, including myself, is going to find times when when they're in what I will give you credit for coining the term as lava, right? This mix of, like, you know, where there's a lot of stressors, there's a lot of um, needs coming in, there's a lot of draw on your attention and energy. What um, practices do you think or that are important for the SAR side or for YOSAR to, to – what do you try and do to sustain – or trend toward green or recharge the batteries in that direction,
2: uh, recharge the batteries for me. Um, uh, you know, I working full time and then some, you know, I get out to climb as much as I can Mm -hmm. and whether it's just, um, and I try to get out with my family a lot and that feels really, really good. That's a pretty good instant recharge. There's definitely a lot of, uh, of alone time just like uh climbing also mm-hmm. and so i try to I, I get that in and that feels really good that's a great recharge mm-hmm. just to absorb i mean how wonderful this place is because mm-hmm. that that's that is the juxtaposition of like the work we do a lot with rescue and then i mean the people and myself included we, we came here because it is just so majestic it's so incredible and so most of the days even when i'm just like you know, like at the desk in the office is like, all I do is walk outside. I get a look up at Yosemite Falls and, you know, life is good. Yeah, And I'm, I feel pretty recharged every day.
1: Yeah. And one of the things I can say, just having the privilege of working with the team and working with you and being here a lot is that um, there's an incredible sense of mission drive here. It's a very professional team and folks who are here are here with a real sense of mission. And so that sort of battery, if you will, or that, um, just the mission, even on a day like today, it wasn't a super technical rescue or anything like that, but we really helped that guy, right? He really, um, we impacted his experience. We changed something. And I think that that one is so important to rescue that there are moments where you kind of get to log in like this. I'm still doing, I'm still the person I was hoping to be when I, you know, started this whole thing. I'm still doing the work that I really love. And I I do think that's a big part of what I see here too. That's really impactful.
2: So. Yeah. I think that the people who are either like, you know, newer to rescue and been doing it for a year or, you know, a couple of years, or those of us who've been here for like a really long time. I mean, I think that's what we capture at times. Like we, we, we help people yeah. and, um, it still feels really good. Like, thank goodness. Yes. <laughs> so it still feels really good. And, um, yeah, I think that, uh, it's, it's, it's really gratifying.
1: Well, thanks for your time. Thanks for um, being indoors when somebody Falls is pumping and spending the time with us and for the work that you do. And I think the way that you're sort of championing um, some of this work in the search and rescue world. So thanks for that. All right. Thanks, Laura. i working with you. Take care. Okay, Bye.
0: you too. This has been the Rescuer MBS Podcast. Please subscribe to receive new episodes and interviews as they come out. Contact us at rescuermbs at gmail.com. Rescuer MBS, know your limits, improve your performance.